Hi, and welcome to the SIF podcast, where we discuss advice and solutions for the modern therapist, whilst trying to help the public find the right advice and treatment for themselves. I'm your host, Mike James. Welcome as ever to the SIF podcast. And for our latest episode, I'm honoured to introduce our latest guest, Bethan Timmins of Timmins Health and Performance. Hi, Bethan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Absolutely our pleasure. Now, to tell so for the SIF members listening, we would love <clears throat> eventually down the line to interview every SIF member we've got. But when we meet certain SIF members, they really rise to the top of that wish list. And we met at the National Running Show up in the NEC in Jan. And straight away, all the team at SIF were really, really impressed with your energy, your excitement, the smile that you had for fellow therapists and patients. It was really infectious. So you were right. We need to get you on, on the podcast. But a few things have happened since, which most of us are aware of. And your reaction to some of those things has really blown our socks off as far as just how impressive you've reacted to all this. So we'll delve into that before, but for the, uh, later on, before the listeners, just tell everyone a bit about you, your background and your business. Uh, so I'm 27. I did sports therapy at Cobb Uni. It was one of those things where I never really knew what I wanted to do. Um, I was into sport. I was into science, that sort of thing. I knew I didn't want to necessarily do sports science. I was interested in the rehab side of things uh, a bit more as I've got a few niggles and aches myself. I think a lot of us have got those. Um, and yeah, so I just sort of went, you know what, we'll apply, see how it goes. Did um, a BSc in sports therapy and then just went from there, really. So I've recently set, well, a year ago now, I set up my own clinic. Um, but since I left uni, I was very fortunate to get a job in a clinic pretty much immediately. Um, and I've been working there ever since and I've been able to work in rugby since as well. So was was having your own clinic always the ambition? Was that something in recent years that was a new aim? It, it, it was one of them again, because I wasn't quite sure what I was, how it was going to go, how I was going to find it. Um, I started working in a clinic and then it was, I'd say I've been there for about a year and I was like, you know what, I, I, I want to stick with rugby. I really enjoy my rugby. But if I can have my own clinic and do things my own way I think that was always from from then on really it was that was definitely a, a goal to work towards yeah and I think that's that's probably something that resonates with most listeners I know certainly myself I can honestly say hand on heart I've never worked in any bad clinics or bad practices I've never had a bad boss but there's just something that you always want to have the keys to the door and the sort of own the train set, so to speak, to just make yeah. your own stamp. It's it's those little things that you would love to see change or the little tweaks you'd love to make that you don't have the power to make sometimes when you're working for someone. Yeah, and those little things are always the things that make the difference. Yeah. So how did you find the leap when you made that leap? Are you still were you still working for someone as well? Yeah. Or did you um I'm still work I'm still working for someone now or I was before all this went mad and I'm hoping to still be working there afterwards. Um, yeah, it was sort of, we moved to a different area. Um, so my, my partner got a new job and it was sort of, we really liked the, liked the area we were in. We saw an opportunity and went, you know what? It's now or never. If we're going to do it, we've got to do it now. 
um, found a premises. It's just a little room just for me. You know, you've got to start somewhere. Um, and went from there, really. I mean, the, the whole thing still terrifies me now. The idea that I am a responsible adult that runs a business is a bit scary, but I'm glad. I'm still really glad I did it. And it is, it is building bit by bit. So, yeah, it's just trying to, with everything that's gone on recently as well, we'd, it pre, lockdown happened pretty much a week after we'd hit that one-year mark. Yeah. Um, so it was a case of, right, well, everything stopped. doesn't matter whether it's my clinic or anyone else's. No point in panicking about it. Just see what, see how else, see how you can change things and get on with it. So did you find that um, having a business that was relatively new, did you see that as a uh, positive or a negative when all the shutdown came? In a way, I think it was a positive because people don't necessarily expect too much of you. If you've been around for a while, I think people, you get stuck, you get stuck in your ways. And your clients can get stuck in the ways as well in the sense that they expect X, Y and Z from you every time you see them or whatever else. But then if you're new, they're not really sure what to expect. So then if you start throwing new and different things at them, they went, all right, we'll see how this goes. Yeah, definitely. And from this sort of, I guess, you know, I'm, I've followed lots of groups now since, since the COVID lockdown came in and the people that I see struggling the most let's say although it's relative to everyone and their individual circumstances are those people with well-established practices lots of overheads and monthly bills lots of staff to pay they're the ones who just seem to be stressing a little bit more they don't yeah. seem to really, um benefit almost of of not being fully no that's I was going to say not being fully committed to it, but um, having more commitments than many. Yeah. Certainly myself with my, my teaching business, I, I've kicked myself for three years that I didn't grow it to where I wanted to grow it as far as things that I was doing with it. And now I sit here going, thank God I dragged my heels on that one because to shut that wing of my, my life down for the next few months has been a relatively simple process. That's something you found. Absolutely. I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, the landlord I've got as well, he was happy to give me a, a two-month um, rent-free period. He's willing to work with me on how we can do things. Um, and I said, all right, well, I might not be able to pay the rent as soon as you want it, but once I go back, if I can just start paying a little bit extra each week, see if I can do it that way. But the fact that I don't have to have huge overheads. And because it was a new business, I wasn't necessarily pulling a wage from it to live off anyway. It was just sort of little bits of money here and there. So there was money saved up. So one thing I made a point of doing was not, I was in a position where I could do it. And I appreciate a lot of people probably couldn't, but was it was to not pull away from it initially to build up a bit of money so that if anything did happen, whether I was ill or whatever else, that I did have that little bit of a, a bit of a buffer. Um, so yeah, I'm glad I did that. Yeah, a wise move, a wise move. And I think I mentioned it in one of our other podcasts that, I think society generally now it's much harder to save and we're, we're a we're a culture of not saving sometimes you know my mum yeah. my dad was a bank manager my dad was a bank manager in the traditional sense of a high street bank and he was of the generation that it was about savings nothing was ever done on loan or credit you saved it and then you only bought things when you had enough money and growing up as a, as a child and a teenager that was very frustrating from him because things I knew my friends were getting on on credit or on 
on catalogues or whatever was done back in the day. My mum and dad were very rigid. No, until we can afford it, you won't have it. And um, although I've not followed it completely through the, to the path of my life to date, it, I am more that way inclined than, than perhaps some are. And um, certainly, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough that uh, we had that rainy day fund and now it's pouring. And, um, and as you said, similar to yourself, a slight buffer. No, it's not going to last long. It's not going to, you know, stress levels will rise if this goes on more than the anticipated time skills. But yeah a very wise and uh, savvy move from yourself, which, which any business could, could do well to replicate. So we both dangled the carrot that coronavirus came along and ruined everyone's year. Yes. Uh, and we've seen across the therapy professions, across whichever forum you're in, not just within SIF, we've seen a wide spectrum of reactions to it. Yeah. And you were certainly someone who from looking from the outside in just seemed to grab the bull by the horns and go, right, what do I need to do? What can I do? And you just went for it. And I've certainly watched you stick out this really consistent stream of really high quality exercise videos and sessions for people to do. Just tell everyone listening how you decided to do it, why that's the avenue you went down and what you've been doing since we've shut the doors? One of the biggest things I find is that people don't like doing exercise in general. Um, they like to do what they do and then they don't want to do anything else. So working in rugby, a lot of the lads will go to rugby training sometimes um, and play the game. But then if you want to get them to do extra stuff in the gym, they're not a fan of it. So as soon as this lockdown happened, I was very aware that a lot of people, and myself included, I like going to a gym. Don't You won't find me running you know, laps around anywhere. Cardio was never my favourite thing. So I was like, I have to do, so I have to do something for my own sanity. And if I can do something that will help clients along the way as well, then I might as well. I've always been the sort of person that I'm like, right, sorry, it might as well see what happens. If it doesn't work, pick yourself up, do it, you know, try something different. Um, I think the biggest thing with the videos I post though, they're very much, I know I've got weights at home. I've got, when the clinic shut, I made sure I bought home all of my rehab kit so I could still do stuff at home. But most people haven't got barbells, they haven't got kettlebells sitting at home, you know, in the corner of their room. So I try and come up with stuff that you can do that's either body weight or you can use stuff that you've got in your house, whether it's a, you know, a backpack full of books or a bottle of screen wash for your car. If you can use it for an exercise, I'll try and come up with something to do with it. Yeah, that's brilliant because you do, for those who haven't seen them, Beth does lots um, in the living room. And that's mental because you normally have this raging log fire next to you as well. So I'm watching it thinking, oh, she's not doing too many sets. She'll be a dripping puddle on the floor. Um, and you do some in a field or in the park sort of thing. And, yeah. and yeah, I guessed it was a deliberate ploy while you, while you were doing those. And I think, you know, people don't do exercise because they find it hard to adhere to them. That's It's one of the fundamental flaws or mistakes that many therapists make where we focus on upskilling our exercise prescription, yet yeah. we never really understand how we can help people adhere to the exercises. And yeah. some of the simple things like just being relatable and achievable, those smart goals as well, is a really simple way. So for anyone watching or listening, definitely check Bethan's um, social media out. We'll give all the contacts later for it. Just see the simple way that she's integrated some easy stuff because 
it's much simpler than a lot of people think, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And if well, if my mum hears this, she'll she'll soon work out. But essentially, the way I look at it is that if my mum can do it, anyone can do it. So it's sort of I've got to try and simplify it to an extent. So you know, she has she hasn't got any sort of sporting background or fitness background or whatever else. So you just sort of come up with exercises that are easy enough for other people to do, um, and, and keep people moving, keep people active. Because I mean, as, as as therapists, we see you if you treat someone that sat on the bum all day, they're going to take a lot longer to recover from injuries or whatever else than they are than someone who's active. And realistically, at the moment, the people that are generally active before are going to do try a bit harder to be active now, but the people who weren't active before are definitely not going to be doing anywhere near as much as anyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how often and how regularly are you trying to put little videos out? Uh, the idea was originally to try and do something every day or so. Um, obviously, recent circumstances, that has changed a little bit. Because after a 12-hour shift, trying to find the time and the energy to be able to do it um, has become a little bit more difficult. Um, but if I can get at least sort of four out a week, that's that's my goal, really. Yeah. You do any little tricks? I, I I'm happy to show people behind the little curtain of my thing. There's many times I'll record a number of videos on the same day, so that I can feed them out yeah. over the course of the week. That's something you've ever done. Oh yeah, I filmed two yesterday that are ready to. I've got another one that's ready to go out. So it's sort of just film a couple when you can, and it's it's not just exercise. It's like even just mobility stuff as well. If they're not feeling like they're full of energy, they can go and do a mobility session instead. Um. Yeah things that we we use quite a lot in rehab plans and whatever else but i think particularly for stuff like this can get neglected if you're just focusing purely on the exercises you know if you've got doms as we've all done it you know you feel really stiff and sore you're like i can't stand and do 10 jump squats or whatever else so if i can just do a bit of mobility instead i'm still moving um yeah if i can i'll try and do sort of an exercise and a mobility session maybe in a day and then try and put them out through the week i think that's good because you know, we've, we've been at some personal trainers, we've flooded the market in the last six weeks with exercises. Yeah. And as you said, people are doing more. And what I'm seeing trends in is people really struggling to recover or take rest days. Yeah. And therefore, when they do stumble across something that is active and they can do it and they can involve with the video and inter- interact with the video that's happening, if it is something that's associated to exercise, but not full-on exercise then it's a really nice nice thing for them to try for so because some of these people will have never tried it before absolutely and if i'm really tired as well it's quite nice to do a bit of mobility and not have to try and do a full-on circuit yeah come up with some big exercises to do yeah cool so um the eager listener will have noticed a couple of minutes ago you dropped in 12 hour shifts now for those of you who may not be impressed enough yet that Beth is 27, runs her own business while still working for someone else, and has made a deep, really good change across to these online exercise vids. That wasn't enough for her. She wasn't busy enough. What was that next thing you went and did? So I occasionally work for a company who provide medical cover to events, and they were recently asked by the East of England Ambulance Trust if they would go on down to Essex and back up their frontline and pts crews um because with everything that's going on they are struggling a little bit and the fact i was sat at home doing nothing not contributing to anything other than my exercise videos was 
quite frankly drive me a bit mad you know I've got a little bit of that medical knowledge because of the job and sports trauma and everything else so I've now joined as a I went and did a fractory course um so I'm now an ambulance care assistant and I do patient transport four times a week in down in Essex brilliant so to talk talk the listener through your average day and your average shift average shift so the shifts can start either seven eight or nine um and we essentially can ferry around anybody with a lot of what we do is dialysis patients um particularly older dialysis patients who can't necessarily get around on their own obviously that's what a big thing that you can't just say oh well, we can put that off for a few weeks it's fine most of these people need to be in you know two three times a week um so we ferry them around we have uh, cardiac patients if they need to go from one hospital to other for additional tests um we have some pretty heartbreaking ones where there are people going home that have been discharged from hospital um that you know won't necessarily live too much longer due to various health conditions they might have um but we the fact that we can take them home so they're with their family in their last few days um, or we go from either hospital or home to hospice care to give them that the additional needs uh the additional help that they need um we have done a couple of covid transports um yeah that until you see it, it for yourself see what a covid ward is like you i don't think you can ever appreciate how bad it is um so that's a bit of an eye-opener but at least doing it i feel like i'm contributing a bit more but you can i mean you can vary we generally do sort of six jobs a day um some jobs could last be like a 45 minute transfer for someone who can walk so they'll walk the staff into the back of the ambulance sit down we drive them to where they're going they'll stand back up walk themselves into the building not a problem others have no mobility or communication whatsoever um so we have to sort of slide them from the hospital bed onto our trolley load them into the ambulance monitor them the whole way to the destination unload them do a handover um things like that really so it, it yeah it can be a bit of a mix yeah definitely so i would imagine that that would be full enough extra job to take on but the fact that it's in a location that isn't home yeah is, is a really unique dynamic to that so explain to everyone a little bit about the accommodation where you stay what how that works and then secondly the thing that interests me are you do you team up with someone from the area how do you find the sort of navigation to the places you're trying to go so the company we're working for um have rented basically a massive farmhouse for us all so we stay in that um it's sort of in between shifts and things and then navigation wise you're on shift with someone from the company so most because the company's based in birmingham so i'm on shift with a load of brummies or yam yams every day um so i i'm originally from warsaw so my yam yam accent has a tendency to come out a little bit as well which is a bit traumatizing for everyone um but yeah a lot of the time it's google maps try and work out where you're going there's been a few mishaps i mean the other day we knocked on a lady's door um who was definitely not our patient and we had no idea how we ended up there but that was the address we were initially given and you double checked it and it was about three streets away but their postcode was the same so that i think that scared her a little bit but um because obviously we're in full pve with everything that's going on we have to wear gloves uh surgical mask apron and then if we are doing covid patients we've got ffp3 masks and goggles and things as well um so yeah rocking up on someone's doorstep with all that on for them not expecting you to be there was interesting um but yeah just 
we work gave us give us phones and we can use apple maps and things on um but i have a tendency because i'm used to android i just whack google maps on and use that and hope for the best really yeah which is hopefully something in the not too distant future you'll just laugh up you look yeah. back and laugh up with fond memories but yeah i would imagine really stressful at the time when you're time pinched anyway with it all yeah, one of the biggest issues we found as well, I mean, I drive a Fiesta. So going from a Fiesta to an ambulance is a bit of a big leap. And then trying to reverse an ambulance round a corner, down a hill into like little tiny car parks like some of our the flats some of our clients live, it, uh, are living in. That's interesting. Mm. It's always uh, a fun trying to work out exactly how to position your vehicle and everything else. And then you've got the added consideration of if your client is in a wheelchair, they need to stick a ramp down at the back as well. So is there enough room to do that? yeah yeah so as a sports therapist what um what essential skills do you think are proven to be the most beneficial when you with, with the ambulances communication every step of the way whether it's communication with control with your crewmate with um staff at the hospital with family members with the patient themselves as well um because one i mean i've always been the sort of person that even if the patient can't communicate i'll always talk to them i'll always talk them through what exactly what i'm doing um, at rugby, if I've got a player who's completely unconscious, I'm doing checks. I'll still always talk to them and tell them what I'm doing because I don't know if they can hear me or not. So that I think the fact that I treat different people every single day and I've had to communicate with different people from different backgrounds, um, you know, different languages, that has helped massively. Really. And certainly something that you can take forward then to put back into the sports therapy afterwards um i was i was older when i did my physio masters and it was in london and my placements a lot of the time were areas of medicine and physio that i had no intention of ever being in community peds intensive care things like that and i luckily came from a therapy background so had exactly the same skills that you were chatting about and they were so invaluable whilst i was doing those jobs because my knowledge base was so low for the short condensed period of time i was working them but what i'll always remember is what i took after that as exactly what you said different cultures different backgrounds even more so more diverse than it would normally be um having to find new inventive ways to commute knowing that communication was the key finding inventive ways to be communicating um and to interact with people was, was something that even today I can still think it's it's something that was probably some of the best 20, 30 weeks learning I could have ever done. This is it. I mean, we had a patient the other day. He couldn't communicate really well at all, but we worked out that he could blink and he could move his arm, move his arm around. So just by sort of, I say listening, paying more attention and closer attention, not just, not just to what people say but the body language as well which you do in the therapy setting um that that helps a lot really and in in sports therapy the people that do come to your clinic normally they're involved in sport they're generally a little bit more active more healthy and a lot of them do communicate well normally um i mean you always have the odd one or two you have to try really hard to get information out of them but when you're put into a situation where you know, you're not used to these people. You're not used to people with multiple um, health conditions. It it make it changes how you think about things and the way you address things. I was thinking 
Especially when you when you knowing how you know like like an acute post op ACL gives you a much heightened index of suspicion and care than a, a inverted ankle that is six months down the line. But it is nowhere near seeing someone who is acutely ill yeah. or chronically ill and you realise that, you know, death is, is a possibility. Yeah. It is such a different mindset. I mean, this is it. I mean, patient we fetched the other day on the COVID ward. The patient himself, obviously can't say too much, um, he was high risk, but then in the room next door on the same ward, um, it's all colour-coded, so high risk was red, black was people who had tested positive. I didn't go into that room, but I could. you see enough through the door, and it's just to see it is devastating. And it, it sort of puts everything to, in, into perspective, really. Mm. Yes. And if, if, okay, I probably won't see any of them in, in my clinical setting, but it will just change the way I treat people, I think, in the clinical setting as well. Yeah. And what's interesting is I think the conversation, I'm certainly hearing now the conversation starting to speak in a rehab world about the recovery from COVID and how we can all play a part in that. Yeah. And some of the conversations, I listened to a really good podcast today from the States where some of the early stage outlining the types of rehab we'll have to do with these people and a lot of the feedback was how low and how easy we were going to have to start working these people. And most of the protocols that are being designed are from the likes of oncology departments and uh, intensive care compartments because they, they understand just how acutely ill some of these people are. And having the insight you've got right now to you know, with your own eyes, appreciate how ill some of these people are. And again, of course, there'll be a huge population of people on recovery programs from COVID who won't have been in the place that you've seen some of these people. So we have to acknowledge that. But for those most most um, severely ill patients, yeah, I think it's an eye-opener for some just how ill these people have been and then hence how long that subsequent rehab journey will take. This is it. Some of the people we've taken home, you know, speaking to their family and they've turned around and said, oh, they were fit and active and running around before all this. And now they can barely hold their own head up. You know, it's going to be a long journey for them. But then if we can use our knowledge and help just improve them, even just, you know, it'll be a long, long road, bit by bit, lots of things to do. But if you can get them walking around again after that, yeah, that's a huge difference. Yeah. But, uh, you, you reach a point. It's not about getting back to sport, which is a lot of what we do. It's about quality of life. You know, these 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 will literally be called survivors, you know, and in the truest sense of the word. And I think some of that early stage, you know, we will need to put ego to one side when they come into the clinics because this isn't a chance to show off skills. This is a chance to use skills. Some of them may have to learn sit to stand from supine to sit. They might need to just be, you know, tolerance in standing and walking as you said it's going to be a real low level entry point for a lot yeah and I, think the, I think the biggest thing because it, it can be really frustrating when you're working with a client and they you know you're trying all these things and people aren't improving but the biggest thing that's going to be with patients like this is just going to be perseverance mm. for you and for them absolutely 
So before we wrap it all up, um, you are one of our rugby expert therapists within the community. So tell everyone a little bit about your rugby career. Um, my first experience working in rugby was my placement in third year of uni. Um, and it was a case of, here's your kit bag, off you go, that's your team. So I was with the Uni Rugby League second team. Um, great bunch of lads. A lot of them had never played rugby before, um, which was interesting. It was very much a case of being thrown in at the deep end because the first injury I ever came across was a player, a French exchange student, who completely shattered his clavicle. Um, he put a massive hit on a player and promptly crawled off the pitch and sat there and screamed at me in French. So that was fun. Um, and it, we eventually got him into hospital and yeah, there was nothing left of it. The whole thing had to be reconstructed. Um, so that, yeah, that was my first, in, well, first experience of rugby. And then after that, you know, we had concussion injuries and stuff through the year. When I finished uni, I was lucky enough to get a job with Rugby Lions Rugby Club um, in Rugby Town. Um, so I was there, I was there for a good few years. Um and then I moved to Stratford-upon-Avon, where I still am at the moment. Um, and then in amongst all of that, I started working with the Warwickshire County team. Um, I was doing some work with Coventry Dragons Rugby League, which was at the time coached by a chap that I knew from the Uni Rugby League team. So there's a crossover from that. And then unfortunately, they folded a couple of years ago. Um, and then since then, I've been doing some ad hoc work with Leamington Royals Rugby League as well. Um, it's, it's good fun. It's good to mix up union and league you do get slightly different injuries um and it keeps you on your toes gives you something to do yeah, it is it's a real subtle difference in um athletic prowess between the two sports that i think that um that's reduced a lot in the last 10 15 since the pro game in union i remember working or oh, this would have been early 2000s and uh witness sorry still in the military and Witness Rugby League, who was Super League at the time, came to our camp for us to give them a bit of a pre-season session. And they spent a month with us. And these guys, there wasn't there wasn't a man who was under 14 and a half, 15 stone, real solid athletes. They were doing three sessions a day. They were they could run five miles old in seven minute mile pace. They could go out and do 11 and a half, 12 second, 100 sprints in the afternoon. And in the gym, wow. one and a half, two times their body weight on most things. They were just phenomenal athletes and even the some of the elite union players back at that point were were not the same beast um we've got a real funny thing happening here in south wales that a lot of our retired union players are now getting into endurance sports they're crossing my path a lot down here with the ironman and stuff and there's a there's probably at least half a dozen ex-welsh and british lions that i know who have never looked fitter than they do now you look back at them in their in their pomp as as rugby players, and they don't actually look that fit and healthy. And now they are just racing snakes. So it's really interesting to see how unions change. So what um what are you finding the rugby boys are up to now? The season's been suspended. Um, some are a lot better than others at doing rehab and sort of just keeping their fitness up. Really, um, you always get the few players. I mean, we're very amateur, but we we always have a few players that don't particularly like preseason. Um, and all the fitness that that entails. So I think the club's been quite good at the minute with setting out different challenges. Um, so it was that um, run 5K challenge that was going on last week. I know quite a few of the lads got involved with that. Um, there's another one going around at the moment. 
uh, about passing the rugby ball. So again, that's just sort of keeping the skill level up and things like that. But we've had a, they've had a couple of um, Zoom socials, should we say? I hung around for the first half an hour of one when they were announcing the final league table results. So we're fortunate enough to have been promoted, which is wonderful. Um, and then I bailed out of that one after after about half an hour. And at half one in the morning, they were still going. Um, sporting a few new haircuts as well, by the sounds of it. Uh, and there was a social the other night as well uh, that was wise enough to stay away from. Um, and they all turned up in full kit on screen you know tape around the head and everything uh so the fact that they're keeping the social side of it open they can they're still having a laugh with each other that's really important for the team side of it um and then they are mostly keeping on top of the fitness as well but i'm sure yeah. when, when this is over and we actually get to do a bit of pre-season training it'll be uh we'll soon see who's been doing what absolutely absolutely um brilliant i do not want to steal any more of your weekend um when do you head back to essex uh, I'll get back down tomorrow night. So I'm doing Tuesday to Friday this week. Brilliant. Where can everyone find out more about you? So I have a website. It is timminshealthperformance.co.uk. Uh, I'm on Facebook as well. Just search Timmins Health and Performance. And on Instagram, it's at Timmins Health. Perfect. Uh, I really urge everyone listening to go and check out Beth's best work the stuff she's put out over the last month has been brilliant full of enthusiasm and energy um i certainly know if i was one of her patients i'd feel really supported which i think is the thing the message we've said across all the spectrums we've charted about today it's just keeping keeping that support network as a, as a therapist and healthcare professional thank you so much for your time please do stay safe when you're down in essex and um, we look forward to bumping into you at some conference or event again when we're all back up and running i'm sure we'll be around again soon brilliant thanks beth all right take care as always thanks for listening if you've enjoyed this or any other of our episodes then please do like share subscribe and leave a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you use remember you can find us on all social media platforms as sports injury fix as well as on our youtube channel finally this week please do take the time to visit therapistlearning.com. This is our exciting new venture in collaboration with the Physio Matters podcast, where we provide curated, high-quality, easily accessible learning for the modern MSK therapist. Please take care, stay safe. We'll be back soon.